it's Loom Group's Andrea Lay, Backview's Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Hills Shree, and I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom, and I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. Be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th, and it's time for the Fresh Four, for curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. We're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news, retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Shree. In case you're wondering what this background is, I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization on their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding offsite. This is said by Sara Marzano, principal analyst at eMarketer. For advertisers, the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so, Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect, an in-store retail media network powered by Quad Graphics Inc. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all the Savemark companies, approximately 200 stores. This is Savemark's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats' partnership for alcohol delivery in eight states. Nearly 1,000 Rite Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh Four. Now on to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our hosts, Sri Raj Gopalan, Peter V.S. Bond, and Brian Gildenberg, Explore how brands and retailers engage consumers in an increasingly digitally driven world. And now, here are the CPG Guys. Welcome again to the CPG Guys podcast. It's Sri and PVSP, and we recorded this episode from high atop the Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. We were both there to attend the 2022 Grocery Shop Conference. Peter was as excited as I am to be together in Las Vegas at the premier digital grocery event for CPG and retail. About 4,000 of our closest industry friends joined us in Las Vegas, including our Fresh Four co-hosts, Andrea Lay, Melissa Burdick, Brian Gildenberg, the host of the Gildenberg Omni Comet, and even Risa Crandall and Jennifer Silverberg from the CPG School podcast. Man, it was a long three days. But before we get to our guests, let me remind our audience that all of our content can easily be found by visiting cpgguys.com. 
have a brand new website with all sorts of rich content and episodes organized into themes like retail media and loyalty. So do check it out on the browser. If you're already following us on LinkedIn, please do so because you'll be joining over 17,000 other industry professionals on an entertaining educational journey. Also, we manage two close groups on LinkedIn, CPG Commerce and Retail Media Professionals. Over a thousand plus professionals have already joined us, so please do consider doing that yourself. Of course, we're on other social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. You find all our content there easily because our series is called Knowledge Drops, which is intended to be a fun way to learn about our industry. How do you find it? By searching for CPG Guys Knowledge Drop on the search bar. And do remember to check out the FMCG Guys podcast hosted by our friends Daniel and Efrain, who take the CPG Guys podcast format across the pond and speak to retail and FMCG luminaries from a European perspective. Do that by visiting fmcgguys.com in a browser and check out the latest addition to our family, the CPG Scoop hosted by Jennifer and Risa. They conduct snackable conversations with industry veterans, a fun way to discover what's new and next in CPG commerce and marketing. Visit cpgscoop.com to learn more. Peter and I are proud to partner with Next Up, also known as the network of executive women in a past life whose mission it is to advance all women in business and to promote the cause of gender equality and career development. Please visit nextupisnow.org slash cpgcast to learn more about this great group. We did tell you at Women's Month this past November 2022 that Peter and I, to the CPG guys, are true partners of Network of Executive Women known as Next Up. We are going to be sponsoring 50 memberships in 2023. So do get in touch with us once 2023 is here. Much more to come about what those sponsorships are and how you can be a member of Next Up and take advantage of the many services they offer. Here to speak to us about this very evolution of how brands are truly becoming omni-channel and the world of investments and acquisitions is Ray Chow himself, a serial entrepreneur who is also an investor, board member, advisor to a number of founders and all things e-commerce. Man, I said a lot. You're doing a lot of stuff, right? In one of his roles, he also advises e-commerce founders at Clearco, who's the world's largest e-commerce investor. We're going to decompose what that means shortly. Ray also sits on the board of GoBoard, a venture-backed 3PL and last mile delivery business servicing large enterprise bands like none other than IKEA, which may be in, at your home. Ray also advises a number of the e-commerce-related companies within the SoftBank portfolio. I can't wait to get this dialogue started. I've waited for a while and I've convinced Ray that if he comes to a podcast, it's the CPG guys. I believe this is your first podcast appearance. You managed to get me out of there we go. Yes. There we go. So I can't wait to get this dialogue started and engage Ray as we decompose the why behind so many digital native brands trying to get into the retail shelves from the digital native starts. What's happening in the M&A space in general around this digital native startup area? And of course, the hardest part about all of this last two and a half years, very difficult macro environment. So if you're a small brand, how do you scale? So Please join Peter and me in welcoming to the podcast, none other than Ray Chow. Ray, how are you doing? Thank you. I'm good. Good to see you both. Thank you for having me. Welcome. So before we get to the questions that Peter and I have prepared for our conversation, Ray, would you give our audience a brief overview of the history at ClearCo and what ClearCo does? Yeah, happy to. Um, a few years ago, uh, after we sold our last business, um, started working with a, a couple of friends who uh, had founded ClearCo. And uh, if you don't know what the business does, since, since its inception, uh, it's now funded, I think, maybe six or 7,000 plus e-commerce businesses, um, but not in the form of equity. Um, and so non-dilutive capital, meaning they'll give you the capital that you can use to go fund your ad spend, inventory, and you pay it back as a percentage of revenue. And so ClearCo um, doesn't take an equity stake, Great for founders; they get to keep you know the entire cap table, uh, and, um, and and you get to get the capital funding for the business. And so, a, a fairly I would say innovative way of financing. Um, but now, you know, a ton of other sort of players have entered the space. Copy. I couldn't agree more, man. Innovative way of uh, financing. And what's your role at Clearco? Yeah, I mean, I, I was mainly advising the founders, which I, I, I do. They're they're also a SoftBank backed business. Um, I advise a few other um, SoftBank companies as well in e-commerce and. Uh, but one of the years I helped them uh, was really around building an M&A practice because they were funding all of these businesses. And a lot of them just didn't have clear paths of, well, how do I sell my business? What's the eventual exit? 
Um, and I knew a lot of the buyers in the ecosystem, like private equity firms, um, strategics. Uh, and then a few years ago, there was just this emergence of like these roll-ups that were popping up. I'm sure, you know, a bunch of people who listen to this podcast got calls from these aggregators. Um, but, um, you know, essentially it was, it was building an M&A practice to sell these businesses. Because um, for most founders, they just have no idea what to do other than operate their, their companies. But, um, you know, true dollars are made through liquidity events, uh, through exits and book selling companies. And so uh, that's largely where, where I was helping them. Do you know what a liquidity event is, Peter? Have you ever talked about this before? I may have heard of the concept of interesting. liquidity investing. I'll we'll have to check that out. But the, the innovative idea on how the funding model works is fantastic. I wonder if it's a first in the industry at the time that it was found. So uh, thank you for that. We will, of course, include links to Ray's LinkedIn profile and the ClearCoast site in the digital liner notes of this podcast episode. So I'm going to jump right in and decompose everything, small brands, startup brands, sure. e-commerce, last month delivery, funding models, all of that in this power-packed episode. And Peter, as always, will come on you at the end to summarize it for us. So let's start with you, Ray the person. You have a plethora of experiences beginning as an engineer by training. Trading at Barclays Capital to then becoming a founder, starting and successfully selling a number of businesses yourself as a serial entrepreneur. Tell us about this interesting journey from engineering to starting and selling businesses and now being an advisor. Yeah, I I don't, I don't know if it was so much uh, planned or, or engineered, but you know, uh, I think a lot of it was confusion, uh, more of just pursuing my curiosities. Uh, grew up in a strict, you know, Asian Chinese family. Um, but really, I know, might know someone else in this room who grew up exactly right. Asian family. You know, we, we were told only a few options that were available to to us. Um, Engineer was one of them. Engineering is one, so I think I, I hit maybe twenty five percent of our, our options pool. But um, you know, uh, ended up trying out a bunch of things from consulting to working at tech companies to working on the trading floor, and I just didn't enjoy them. Um, so decided to start building companies. Um, made some mistakes. Um, you know, we sold some businesses. We buying a bunch of businesses um, and lately just been finding a lot of interest as well, helping other founders and, and funds. And, and so that's primarily where I've been spending most of my time. Gotcha. Shri, do you know what happens when I told my Episcopalian mother what I was going to do when I graduated was I was going to get a major in politics and psychology of terrorism. You know what she said? Okay. Yeah. Well done, Mom. <laughs> I, I know you probably would have been thrown out of my family if I had said that. But, uh, In any event, Ray, so it's if, okay. I, if I had said psychology, I don't think they'd have asked me if I'm crazy. Yeah, I, I don't even know. Actually, I will say this. That, that's not entirely true. My mother, who was an economist, and my father was an economist, said, you went to liberal at school. Why would you get a degree other than economics? But that's the real truth. But, yeah. but they were okay with it once, once I said Ray and I will chat later. He said 25% of the available pools, there's 75% more doctors, one of them. Yeah. We had closed the loop later after this yeah. episode. What Lawyer, the 50 hour. Yeah. Lawyer, there we go. We got 25% left. Over to you, man. <laughs> Ray, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for joining us. And it's funny you mentioned the SoftBank when I'm not podcasting, obviously. Uh, uh, a, uh, an employee of Fetch Rewards, a loyalty platform, which is, I think, uh, hopefully one of the star jewels in the, uh, in the yep. soft bank investment portfolio. So that's always a good thing. Anyhow, I want to I want to get in now that we have a fundamental understanding of what your company does and what you've been doing in that respect. I'd really like to understand what you're seeing these days. Is the rapid economic growth starting to wane? Uh, since COVID, we've emerged from COVID, we're shopping in physical stores again. Is it leveling off? And how should brands be reacting to this? Should they be leaning in or is it time for them to sit back and say, you know, let's, let's see where the dust settles and we'll figure out what to do next? Yeah, I, I think it's a complex answer uh, because you, you have to look at the different parts of, of the brand world, right? And so I spend time with direct-to-consumer businesses, which are typically small businesses. I also spend time with large packaged goods executives, and I think stories are different, right? So in direct-to-consumer land, um, I mean, companies have been decimated in the last, call it, 9 to 15 months. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what people don't talk enough about, which, which I was sharing with you guys earlier, is 
Facebook and iOS um, and the issues that happened last year have literally destroyed companies, right? So companies that depended on Facebook as an acquisition channel, their economics are broken. Um, you just can't make money unless you have maybe recurring revenue or subscription, which is very rare for most businesses. Um, and so that combined with macroeconomic forces of no more stimmy checks, uh, consumer demands not the same, people have less money in their bank accounts. Um, you've just got a confluence of forces. And uh, you know, even if you're flat or growing in your top line, your bottom line is probably eroding significantly. And so real challenges there. Um, I think if you look at large brand worlds, um, obviously you guys know this better, but there are some that, that are doing okay, probably around grocery is, is sort of one category. But I think this, the, the issues are the same in that profit erosion is everywhere. Things cost more, cost more to acquire customers, it costs more to deliver products to the end consumer, and people have less money, right? So um, you know, you might see some growth in certain categories, but I think all in all, like, people are people are struggling. Like it's a it's a real, real challenge right now. You know, for for digitally native brands, it's been my experience that there's a limit to the growth that you can have. At some point, if you want to cross that chasm, you're going to have to do it through physical retail. And that's why you see companies like Harry's moving into Target and, and the like. And that's just one example. Yeah, have there been Amazon millionaires and billionaires? Yeah, they have. But yeah. for the most part, if you want to scale, you have to if you want to scale, you have to be on each other. That's what, yeah. what do you think? I, I, I think there's also even a step before that, which is, you know, there's a ton of buzz around direct to consumer, right? The Harry's, the Warby's, et cetera. Um, but if you look at the overall e-commerce pie, it's only a I think it's like ten or fifteen percent of overall e-com is like Shopify direct to consumer, right? The yeah. rest of it is, you know, retail e-commerce, right? Which is yeah. Selling through Amazon, selling through Walmart.com, um, but it's—I don't know—maybe less sexy to talk about the bigger pie, which um, I think you know needs to get more attention. Because if you're a direct-to-consumer brand first today on Shopify, I think your first step is how do I get onto Amazon or how do I get onto Walmart.com, um, which which these founders are are you know fighting to do now because Facebook's not a viable channel for them. Uh, but then I think after that is going into wholesale through brick and mortar. Um, but I think that's sort of the, the evolution of Google's I don't think yeah. I'm an unusual shopper in that if I see something on social media that I want, I don't click. I click to see, learn more, and I see what the price is. But the first thing I do after that is I toggle over to Amazon yeah. and I see, and guess what? Yeah. Invariably, I'm going to find it at 20%, 30% cheaper, yeah. and it's a source that I trust. And I'm going to buy it there because yeah. it's one last thing where I have to fill out a form. Yeah. So I don't think you're special. I think it's you and another. You don't, you don't think I'm special? <laughs> so, I'm not special. You're always telling me I'm special. So um, let's come back to this D2C emerging native digital world, right? What are the basics of success? What would you tell them? You know, you talked about the adversity period now last nine, 12, 15 months after the I iOS kind of security thing, call yeah. it what you may, privacy, call it what, whatever you may, acquisition has become a nightmare. Yeah. And then on top of that, we've screwed supply chain up pretty badly in yeah. the world, which means you can't acquire consumers, and even when you do, you don't have product to sell to them. Yeah. So what, what would be your advice on the basics? What should they focus on, brand founders? Yeah, I, I think the world is finally coming back to first principles of you have to sell something that, you know, is higher than what it costs you, right? And hey, how about uh, that, man? Yeah, sell sort of something by the cost. The one on one, right? And you know, the the venture community, which has funded a lot of these businesses, um, has sort of come to a screeching halt, and people are no longer deploying capital on these direct. Is it really that bad, Ray? Where it's just absolute like a it's, big wall at stage? It is. It is terrible. Um, you know, the the direct consumer founders. Uh, pretty much can't find additional dollars from an equity perspective. Wow. And so uh, lenders in the space or players like Clearco, they're getting a lot more business because they don't take equity and they're sort of the only sources of capital that are available. Um, but these venture investors are pulling back because if you look at the public market comps, you know, Warby, Alberts, all of those guys who got public, they've dropped 75, 80%, right? And that really messes up your multiples. 
And so they are sort of stepping back and saying, look, I'm, I'm not going to deploy any capital until I see a rebound in this because it's just not the valuations that, that I expected these investments to turn out. And so I think what that's forcing now is, you know, the markets are just rewarding businesses that are more profitable. And that's not just in direct to consumer. It's across the board. The market's just rewarding profitable businesses. And so I think going back to your question, I think the, the advice is like, you need to not only understand how to make profits, but you also really need to understand cash, right? And that uh, while you may have profitable or EBITDA, like you may not have cash, right? Which is a total big one, thing, right? Um, and, you know, every dollar of profit, most of these banners plow it back into inventory. And so um, that, I think, is incredibly important. You talked about supply chain issues. You know, I think we're actually at another challenge right now, which is during 2020 and 2021, these brands couldn't get a ton of inventory and they were getting a ton of demand. And they just thought that everything was going up and to the right and that they're forecasting, you know, sort of this up and to the right amount of demand. And so they overworked. And now they are sitting on a ton of inventory and consumer demands come down. And so, you know, that's all tied up. You Talk know, about disappointing right? investors. That's got to be rough. Exactly. I mean, that, that destroys businesses, right? And so I think that's where there's a real challenge. And it's not like you can fight your way out of this by acquiring customers cheaper because Facebook and Instagram are now an expensive acquisition channel. And so a lot of these founders are stuck and I think a lot of them are going to go out of business. Sure. I think the only happy guy in this is Tom Fishburne, the uh, cartoonist uh, known as the marketunist because he loves to draw those crazy, uh, those crazy charts. I like Calvin. You like Calvin? Since you were asking. I didn't. Oh, you did? I missed her. Um, so, so Ray, in addition to startups, you also uh, serve uh, on an advisory board uh, for Grocery Shop Talk and Shop Talk. Would love to hear, since we're here recording at Grocery Shop, would love to hear more from you uh, about your role in this and how you see this particular, uh, it's now three, there's a Shop Talk in Europe, how you see this particular format as being contributing to the growth in our industry. Yeah. Uh, I, I got to know shop talk and grocery shop. I think, I think you guys also know Anil, um, who's a founder and, um, he's been a friend and an incredible entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, about a year or two ago, um, it asked me to, to join the advisor board to help them to shape the agenda and identify, um, you know, who would be great to, to speak. Um, so that's largely the, the role of employing, um, but I, I think, you know, the, the important part of Grocery Shop and Shop Talk is it's bringing sort of this, this I would say, still early-ish, you know, stage community together and, and finding ways to advance it. Um, you know, just the comment earlier around, like, retail e-commerce, right? It, um, it's a big, big part of the e-com pie, but certainly doesn't get the same energy and love, right? And I think, you know, Grocery Shop is putting a lot more of the, the limelight on, on that industry and on and, and so, um, you know, I think it's a great thing. And, you know, one of the things that um, I'm also uh, building out is uh, a retail e-commerce trade association right now, again, to help, you know, shape this industry in a bigger way. I feel like there's more that needs to be done in recognizing the incredible leaders in the space and, um, you know, helping people understand how to advance in this industry because it's still early. You talked a lot of CPG executives around work design and finding talent. It's like, I... I just don't really know how because, you know, it's not like, you know, um, uh, heads of e-coms were, you know, built 20 years ago, right? And so everyone's sort of defining this um, as, as they go. And I just think a lot can be done for, for this industry. And so as big as it is, I think there's, there's a lot more that can be done. No, you won't get any debate from us. And yeah, I mean, you guys are perfect living examples of, of trying to advance. You've spent, what, about a decade, Peter, in this space, evolving from brick and mortar world. Now, of course, I've come back a whole circle. But regard, in, in any event, right, I just think what you've called out is a very important thing that I'll point out for the audience, which is if you look at the whole pie of digital, I'm going to say digital became sexy because of D2C, and hence so the mind gravitates yeah. automatically. But then you also pointed out that in today's economic uh, situation of the world, the most important thing for DC is gone on the days of I can take a bunch of losses, be a little less stressful about cash flow, 
It's all about the books at this stage. But I've got clicks. Like clicks. Clicks don't matter anymore, Sharif. Apparently not. And besides, you can't get clicks because of the iOS issue. <laughs> that's it's true. That's so true. It's, it's like a double whammy, right? Yeah. In that sort of environment, I think it's right now. The time is right for that 85% pie that Ray referred to. And there should be a lot more attention about that unsexy world. Yeah. And we need to make it sexy. And yeah. that's what we're going to try and do. You're right. Digital so influence in that 85% of Absolutely. the market yeah. where, it's, where the sales are occurring. And if you don't, because if you don't do it, there's that company out of Seattle and a bunch of others that will figure out how to so do it. All distribution opportunities for brands, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to go over to e-commerce aggregators because uh, right up top, before we started this recording, we were chatting with you. We talked about the... Many a millionaire has come out to e-commerce aggregation. Yeah. Amazon platform, eBay, many other platforms, third-party marketplaces, etc. And of course, many of us in our audience has also received calls from these yeah. heavily funded startups in the last couple of years, all in the pre-COVID kind of era, right? Uh, can you tell us what you're seeing today in this space? And uh, how yeah. is this going to all go forward? Is there a light at the end of the tunnel? What happens? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think as with many new industries uh, or categories, there's always this sort of rising, uh, you know, excitement, but almost a, a bit of a bubble. And, you know, I think these aggregators, um, you know, there are probably over 100 of them now, uh, most of them buying Amazon businesses, like small third-party sellers on Amazon, um, businesses that private equity um, wasn't buying. So, you know, sub 40 million, sub... Five ten million in profit. Um, these aggregators are buying them, and they're buying. You know, like literally every week, you, you'd have people buying. You know, uh, an Amazon business, and um, I think twenty twenty mid twenty twenty was really peak acquisition mania. Uh, really, I'd say once interest rates started going up, um, once we had change in consumer demand, no more stimmy checks, all of that acquisitions. Literally, I'd say Q four of last year um, just halted. And, you know, it's continued. It's only gotten worse. And the, the challenge is that most of these aggregators are funded using debt. And the lenders in the space require that your companies are still growing in profit um, because that's how they're financing the, the, sure. the acquisition. Yeah. Um, the minute they see that your profits are declining, you're starting to breach a lot of their debt covenants. And in, in lender language land, like you don't break covenants. You, once you break a covenant, they have all the power to tell you what to do and what not to do, yeah. right? And essentially the message is, look, I'm not going to let you buy any more businesses right now because your core portfolio is struggling, right? And you know there was, there was this whole thing around, well, these aggregators, they have this machine and the secret sauce and all the talent that can help operate these businesses better. And, you know, I think it's sort of like, you know, come out that, really can't beat these macro forces, right? Um, so if they, if they can't buy any new companies, how do they dig themselves out of this hole? They, they have to operate their existing businesses, and that's a challenge, right? So some of them are selling off, you know, uh, bad-performing assets. Um, a lot of them are, are actually, uh, if you read the news, like are just letting go of a lot of their own talent. Yeah. That machine yeah. that was supposed to be really good. We're seeing time and time right now. Exactly. And because the only way to improve performances by, you know, cutting costs. And that's the only way to sort of help them get their profitability back up. And, and so you're seeing this industry that rapidly, like literally billions of dollars plowed into this industry in, in a very short period of time. It's just sort of slowed down significantly. And so, you know, I, I think that we are past the peak period where founders who sold last year or, you know, mid 2022 probably had the highest valuations. I don't think it'll ever get back to that period. I think it'll go back up because it, it's just gone so low. Have we, have we hit the valley, though? I, I don't know if we've hit the valley. There's really not much yeah. lower that you can go, right? Because a lot of these companies are being bought for, you know, three to five times EBITDA or profit, right? And, you know, it might have been at five or six during peak, and now it's at three, two and a half. You really can't go that much lower, right? Because as a founder, if you offer me one time, it's like, why would I sell my business? I'd rather just wait a year you know, or two years to, to make that money, right? So, um, you know, I think we are in a pretty low period. Um, so I think it will go back up. Will it go back to, you know, the peaks? I, I, I think it's going to be really hard 
Shri, I'm really glad to see that you guys chose not to do debt financing to grow our business. Well said. Or, or some of the company in the last few Of course, given the, fact, wait, man. Wait. <laughs> given the fact my three-and-a-half-year-old daughter owns most of the convertible notes, we just have to keep supplying her with chocolate milk and gummy bears, and we'll be in good Do shape. we have to wait till she's 18? Yeah, because that's, that's, that's a long way That's out. a good point. Miracle that's pretty sophisticated for a. I tell you, she's like she's a smart one. She's uh, she, she's moving into preschool uh, <laughs> this week. It's a it's a big event for us. Pretty soon, she. I already said that my wife we're going to do college tours in a couple of weeks. Um, so you've worked for a couple of VC backed uh, companies, and you've worked for venture funds. Uh, let's talk about that particular area. I've got one of my dearest friends is a tech focused VC firm. Um, where do you see that particular? We've talked about equity. We've talked about um, debt financed um, uh, aggregator. Where do you see venture capital going in the yeah. foreseeable future? So I, I think, um, unlike the great financial crisis, where I think you know largely a real estate uh, related asset class, I think what we're going through right now is just hitting almost all industries. I would yeah. say. Um, you know, similar to what's happened in the aggregator world um, and in direct consumer, I would say just tech VCs have, have really slowed down their uh, their their deployment of capital. Um, a lot of it is like you look at again public market comps of every SaaS company or tech company, it's it's dropped right um, 50, 75, 80 percent right. And so um, for many of the same reasons as direct consumer, there's just been a ton of pullback. Um, I think that, you know, great companies are still getting funded, um, you know, maybe not at the same crazy multiples. I think it's reverting back to uh, the, the mean of what it should have been. But um, I think valuations are, are, are going to change significantly. Um, but you're just seeing most VCs just sit on capital. Uh, there's a ton of dry they powder on the side. So they've got, they got the fund. They're just not pulling the trigger on any absolute Absolutely. They're People not aren't chasing get, deals anymore. They're, they're not going to get the multiples. So, so totally. multiples is one thing, but I think there's also just a concern of, of falling knife and you know what's going to happen to these companies that I'm, I'm you know deploying capital into. Are they really going to continue to grow? Do they have strong unit economics? So the IP, and the RPO market's dead. I, I think it'll be dead for a couple of years. Like, you really so, think it's so, going to be so, two, three years? So I mean, yeah. If I'm if I'm a ex CPG startup founder. Is it different for me? Or am I facing the same one? I'm not making product that people buy every day. I'm a SaaS platform, tech-based, something of that nature. Am I facing the same one? I think if you're a SaaS player, I think similar issues are, are happening. I mean, the best companies are, are still finding a way to get capital. But I'd say it's like a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage. Because um, the issue is wow. you, you look at all these tech companies, right? Uh, an Affirm or, you know, a, a DoorDash or, you know, even the best ones like Viva, like they've all come down, you know, 50, 75%. And so Instacart, um, Instacart right. Um, you know, worked it like there's just, everyone's getting destroyed across the board. And so um, at the end of the day, these investors in the private world are going to look at public market comps as, as a valuation uh, reference point. Right. And it, it trickles down. And so, um, it's it's incredibly challenging across the board. Well said, Ray. Let me remind our audience that we're speaking to Ray Chow, then Pfizer, the startup founders, investor, and also board member in businesses related to e-commerce and digitally native brands. So, well, I already feel like we've gotten so much. This is a power packed episode. We got started about much aggregators. We oh, talked yeah. about debt, debt financing. financing. We talked about venture capital. We've been the world has run the gamut. We run the gamut, but I got much more for you stuff. Sure. Uh, so many of us recently saw the acquisition of Hero Cosmetics mm-hmm. by Church and White. It looked like a great transaction at the surface level, and for all those involved, probably. Do you expect to see more of these great trans- transactions while it shifts the, the shifting landscape of digital native brands in the next couple of years? Yeah, I mean, um, Jude, who's the founder of Hero. Um, is a friend and also one of their biggest investors, uh, Trevor Trevor Nelson from Aria, incredible um, investor as well. Um, you know, that was an incredible business, uh, but it goes back to one of the things that we were talking about, which is a very large chunk, if not a majority, of their business was was actually Amazon. 
they're in brick and mortar. Um, they weren't like your typical direct to consumer business, right? And unlike I would say the ninety eight percent of other direct to consumer businesses that were venture funded, Hero was making real money, right? I, I forget what the financials were. I think it was like one hundred and ten million top line, forty Something million like in that, yeah. Like that was that's that's almost like software. That's, you're going head to head with larger brands, exactly. That right? Exactly, right? And so. Um, you know, I wouldn't have been surprised if they had a bunch of bidders trying to buy that business. Um, I think businesses with that profile will get bought. I don't think there are that many of them, um, and I think that's the that's the challenge. Um, I think so many are. So, just if you're a large brand, brand, then you try to incubate because as, if if you're a large brand, you're sitting on working capital, you're sitting on cash flow. You try to do this yourself, or is is this still a skill set issue? I I really think it is a skill set issue that, you know, the skill set involved in going from zero to one is just very different from like one to, you know, a hundred, right? It's unfortunate though. It, it, it is, it is. And, you know, I think companies have tried, right, to build in-house incubation and all that. And I think it's it's a nice effort, but um, it's just hard, right? To, you don't see the incentives. Results. The incentives are, are off, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you take a secondment or if you work on, you know, this, this new startup, like, unless you're getting startup founder economics in this, like... What's your incentive to, to, to build this into a big success, right? If there's no IPO and there's no incentive there, why are you jumping exactly. ship to take a lot exactly. less? Yeah, I understand. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's, it's challenging to draw talent if there's no tremendous upside. And so the talent will tend to stay where they're going to be rewarded, and they're probably going to be more likely rewarded if they stay to scale. Exactly. And, and I think I think as well, you know, these numbers just don't mean a lot to large CPGs, right? Like if you're doing, let's say, you know, 10 million in your first year, what's what's the CEO of the company, right. CFO going to say, oh, that's yeah. cute. You know, like Pampers did that in two hours, right? Or something like that, right? So, and you know, I, I may know somebody who's dealt with all these problems last 10 years of 10 million wasn't good enough, so... Exactly, right. So is he a podcaster? I don't know. Okay. I do not know. Ray, so I remember this visual that I saw on LinkedIn a couple of years ago, it kept getting reposted. It had Procter and Gamble in the center with all of its logos, and then it was showing all of these insurgent challenger yep. brands, D2C kind of eating away at the business, and it talked about how D2C was gonna take on Procter and it was gonna take on Nestle, yep. it was gonna take on Unilever. You're talking to a lot of big scaled companies. Yeah. Is that is that fear of challenger brands still real for them or has it has it subsided? I I think it's it's subsided. I think that was a totally it was a it was a nice slide to, to drive a lot of attention. Look at it. It had a lot of logos. It was great to, to get people Slo- to talk about. Logo them. slides are Great. Um, Everybody wants to reshare thoughts. And, and people like to throw fear, but yeah. I think, you know, you talk to most CPG executives and they look at DTC. It's like, well, why would I do that? Right. Yeah. Why would I lose a ton of money? This is not, you know, like a customer acquisition play where hopefully one day I'll monetize. Like, you know, if I throw away profits, I'm going to be punished in the public markets for that. Right. Pretty and much, so. Yeah. I think there's there's very few transactions um, that they're going to do, and, and they just don't see the upside uh, in in betting and when you're worrying about them, right? Like I think the reality is like distribution is incredibly powerful. Like you just can't beat a General Mills, a P and G, a Unilever on that distribution, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's very hard to to you know overthrow, and so um, I think there's a ceiling to how big these businesses can get, and that's why like Hero. You know, sold because now they can increase distribution, right? But on their own, incredibly challenging, right? And you're just going to tap out at a certain size. Dropped a couple of truth bombs over there about distribution, the importance of it for scaling. And then I think the more powerful one is if you're running a large public company or you're part of a large public company, what's the incentive to actually now get into the DC world thinking, yeah, you're really doing it for the uh, customer acquisition part. To say, hey, seven years later, that's going to really give me some yield or some sort. Right. Yeah. I think the bumps. I think the belief that scale brands getting in D to C to grow their business from the D to C component is just erroneous. We know what it's for. It's it's to get as one of our dear friends Brian Gildenberg said in a recent video we caught with him. This is this is truly about uh, understanding how your consumers are behaving, right? 
in a, in a digital world and then using that and applying it to how you deal with your omnichannel retailers and, and really helping you in your broader business, not necessarily to generate copious amounts of profitable money from the actual D2C sale. Is that the Thursday's Gildenberg Omnicom? Gildenberg Omnicom. Isn't that a Robert Ludlum novel? Is it? I thought it might be. Not sure. Rudyard Kipling? It might be. Poetry? No. Um, so we, we've been um, we've been kind of half glass empty in a lot of our conversation. We've been kind of talking about the doom and gloom. It's not really it's not really great. Um, you know, would love to know from you what you see as being really next in retail and e-commerce. Are there are there things that are really exciting you in terms of the innovation you're seeing in this space? Yeah, I, I think, uh, first of all, I, I think as, as, as grabby as it sounds, um, you know, with the world, I actually think there's, it's just reverting back to where it should have been. And there's actually a lot of great things that are happening. It feels bad because we're, it's recency bias, right? We're, we're sure. going through this pain. Sure. Um, but I, I think, you know, iOS and Facebook has created a big hole. And I actually think TikTok is going to get really interesting. The fact that they've, this Hallelujah! The CPG guys have a TikTok channel. Told you so. Thank yeah, you. No, I don't Thank know you. It's going to get really interesting by the fact that the federal government is going to step in, shut it down for you. That could be what you got. Followers. How about that? that, that, that we have a hundred followers. We are on it's our way. Watch out, Kim Kardashian. We are coming for you. It, I, I think it's, you know. I think they realize that there is a big opportunity for them to help these digitally native brands who can't rely on Facebook anymore. Um, how they do it is going to be interesting, right? And they have other pressures, as you've mentioned, that might make it hard to, to win in the U.S. Um, I think that's one. I think, you know, in retail e-commerce, though, the part that uh, I get excited by is that I think that uh, there's a lot of technology that's now being built, right? I think it was once started really by agencies and humans, and now I think software is going to come in. Um, I actually think a lot of consolidation is is going to pop up as well. Um, I don't think people want to deal with like 50 different vendors and um, you know have a solution here and a solution there. Um, we've got we know the guys at Commerce IQ. They, they've been making some acquisitions and are consolidating sort of that tech stack. I think more of that is going to come, and I think it'll be good for for the industry. But I think it's still super early days in, in retail e-com. Um, there have been some great innovations we've seen. We have a great vantage point here in the CPG guys because we get to see things like Google type searchability of videos. We get to see live streaming plugins to legacy oh. Shopify platforms that make it very easy for brands to get on board. There is a lot to get excited about. Full funnels, acquisition to conversion platforms, all built into and one Shopify media. Yeah. We talked to Guru back in. August of 2022, and Guru referred to Commerce IQ as being the like 85% pie that you mm. described. Right. Trying to bring it all together from the omnichannel world perspective, the right. e-commerce world first, but instead of 30 solutions, how do you get one platform? Yeah, that's for right. For that 85% world, which I think is a very good opportunity, by the way. So I'm going to wrap this up with probably the question that the listeners really want to hear from you the most. Given your amazing experience in the space and how eloquently you've been describing what the world is today in the fall of 2022 from a DDC, digital native, scaling perspective, a bunch of truth bombs. What is your advice to startup founders <laughs> who want to run the race with large-scale CPG brands? And what would differentiate them? Yeah, I, um, I would say that I don't think you should try to compete with large CPG. Um, you know, I think it's one thing to be an entrepreneur and to have the freedom uh, to do what you want, when you want. Um, but if your goal is to win, um, I don't think you compete with large industries. You can't. It's it's really, really hard. So right? he's myth-busting the stories that exist in the industry that you can take over PNG and Good luck. Good yeah. luck, right? Um, well said, right? You know, I, I think it would be great. But I think there is just so much distribution power in these businesses that it's incredibly difficult to, to overtake. Um, I think that, you know, it's been the last 10 years, right? And, and no one's really been able to, people are trying, like Harry's is now starting to acquire businesses, but there's still so much distribution power, right? And I think that's hard to overthrow. 
And the distribution power is fueled by the investments that these companies have made in the ability to execute at retail, the ability to put together promotional programs, to deliver so, that to their retailers. And that is just not easily replicated oh, by a scale builder. You can't just buy a sponsored listing ad and expect that that's exactly. going to have the impact. Exactly, exactly. And I'd say one other thing is, 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 is real R&D, actually. Um, because most of these digitally native brands, you know, they're, they're not really building something different. And the ones that do, I think, do have something they're unique. They're finding weaknesses right? and trying to exploit yeah. them versus truly exactly. doing R&D. It, it was a distribution play of, well, no one's acquiring customers on Facebook, so I'm going to build this bus for yeah. Facebook, right? And I'm going to find that manufacturer in Alibaba, and, you know, that's my play, right? And baseball are truth bombs today. So, you got a bunch, yeah. um, so I, I think I think it's hard, right? Um, so it depends on what your goal is, but I wouldn't compete against large CPGs. Awesome. So let me remind our audience that all of our content can easily be found going to a web browser, typing cpgguys.com. If you think you or your company has some thought leadership to con- contribute to our community here on the CPG Guys, drop us an email, easy, contact at cpgguys.com, and maybe you can join us on the podcast right here. Don't forget to drop us a rating on cpgguys.com, easily found by going to the top of the menu bar on the homepage of our website. Thank you to all our followers. We know you love us. Thank you for all of you who are showing us. How many do we have now? 16K plus on LinkedIn. And I do want to, and of course, LinkedIn is a niche that audience. Our Thank you for that. Yes, so it's 15,998. Yeah, it does include plus moms. I started my mom a LinkedIn account so she could follow that us. That was nice. How do you know they don't like your content and they're, you know, not yeah, good, good question. We got to ask them that. Do you really like our content? <laughs> she did ask me when I was home in India back in August of 2022 for a CPG guys t shirt. She likes her swag. And a mug. She's getting greedy. Yeah, She's getting greedy. And a mug. Ray, I want to sincerely thank you for thank coming you. to the show and dropping a bunch of truth bombs and knowledge bombs for us. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And it's the first podcast appearance, Ray. I have a feeling he's going to be in many more podcast oh, appearances after so. this because people are just going to ask him after listening to this. We've, we've created so, a monster. <laughs> we may have taken the private out of Ray and made him public. There we go. We talk a lot about private and public. So how do you like that? I know I'm trying these days. Just keep it up. Thank you, Peter. So uh, it's your turn. All right, man. Yeah, this to to quote again, power pack episode. Lots of truth bombs drop. Boom, boom, boom. They were going off all over. Um, I I love the fact that your company Clearco is has funded six thousand plus, almost seven thousand companies through non diluted equity financing. That's a really interesting approach. We've heard of private equity. Venture capital, we heard SPACs. Remember Remember that little, remember the SPAC thing that was going on this year? Now you don't hear about SPACs. I saw one of my friends actually get a SPAC deal. That's about as close as I got to it. And my two friends, one of them got a SPAC deal. Yes, I remember that. And one of them lost that on the SPAC deal due to which the company has recently closed. So it's a a tough time. Um, You know, companies are struggling uh, scaling their business in a post-COVID world. Uh, brand founders should be really focused, according to Ray, on selling products at a price that's higher than it cost them to make. Shocker. I know. Shree, this is, we got to start telling people about this idea. It could be revolutionary. A decade, though, this was flipped. You know, the fact of the matter is venture investors, uh, they're falling back. Uh, the margins aren't there, and that's having an impact on valuations. And, and as a result of that, you know... The markets right now are clearly rewarding profitable businesses. You have a really great example where Hero was able to be acquired. And cash flow. And cash flow as well. Uh, you have to manage the cash flow. That's the critical element. Um, I love the fact that I'm, I want, I'm going to want to learn more about this offline about creating a trade association around the space. Because Shree and I have been actually, in all, all seriousness, we, do, we are serious every once in a while. But we have something. Is it Tree and Peter or the CPG guys? The, the CPG guys. That's right. I'm sorry. I wasn't trying you know that we weren't speaking in the third person. But in any oh, event, I think that's that's a very intriguing uh, approach. Um, aggregators. Wow, they've been focusing on companies that were typically making less than forty million dollars a year, and the the high times were pretty high there for a while. But they're all starting to come very close, if not already having broken covenants. And that means the money for them to acquire more businesses is drawing up. It means that they're having to cut headcount. 
uh, and they're not doing the kind of things that they, a lot of that great talent came to do. Same with, with startups, which means that these big scale brands and companies that saw a brain drain and a talent drain disappear during the heyday of the last five or six years are now actually starting to probably see people wanting to stay because the returns and the equity in a world where we're not seeing a lot of IPOs happen, it's just not there. So why would I, why would I walk away from a great deal here? And it's just an absolutely fascinating time. You know, venture capital in particular, they've got money. They're just not allocating it because right now, the, where are the returns going to come from? They're not seeing the returns. They're just not seeing it. So rather than dump the money anywhere, they'll just sit on it. And it I didn't comprehend the seriousness of the depth. Maybe the seriousness, not the depth of how the iOS platform switch on the privacy angle yeah. has really changed. Yeah, but you know what the thing world. is? Think about Sears and Roebuck, right? Sears and Roebuck made its business and its success on revolutionizing a different business model, right? And what happened to them? They got defeated by the likes of Amazon. It's it's just evolution of business, right? And to sit here and say that, that these companies... You know, they played according to the rules, the way the rules were. The market and the conditions changed, and if you don't evolve, it's very Darwinian, right? Absolutely. I think the one thing that, that Ray said that really caught my mind is, listen, if your goal is to win at in this market right now, don't compete with the big guys, you just don't have the resources to win in distribution particularly. That, I think, is probably the most sage advice that we can give and true to our these brands. Absolutely. Yeah, you're going to win because you have a better product, not because you found, to your point, Shree, you, you, you focused on, on a minute opportunity to arbitrage at a particular moment. Awesome. Thank you so much, Peter. Pleasure doing yep. this week or with you. I knew when I asked Ray, I had to get him out of his private shell to be here, and I knew if I would be successful, we would get Is that what you more said? content than you and I could handle. Okay. And that's that's the way it went. He's going to be a, he's going to be a star on podcast. Just mark my words. Okay. Mark my word. Folks, let me wrap this up by saying thank you. It's a pleasure to have had Ray with us in person at Las Vegas at Grocery Shop 2022 in September 2022. And we'll see you soon on another episode of the CPG Guys. Content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.